0: It is true that uh, prayer is this thing that, especially for a new believer, but even if I've found that even people that have been in church a long time, um, and you'll know this to be true if you ever try to go out to dinner with them, and you're sitting down and you look over at your friend John, you go, John, would you like to pray for dinner? And John's eyes get this big, and he's like, not with you. Because <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. There's always this fear like, am I doing prayer right? Like, how do I pray? Uh, In fact, I would say that a great deal of us end up doing most of our prayer just mentally, in our our head, talking to God, just communing with him, but not necessarily speaking out loud. So then when it comes time to speak out loud, you have no experience. You you never do that. Uh, My parents used to always make us pray, make us, see how that came across? Used to make us. Uh, We'd sit down for dinner and we'd pray. and, And my brother, my sister and I, we had basically a standard prayer. Dear God, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. Please bless our... Amen. Let's eat. You know, and we just had this... Were we really praying at that time? Or were we just kind of regurgitating something that we've just heard a thousand times? You be the judge for your own life. I believe that sometimes you might as well just skip that prayer. Because you're not really praying at all. You're just saying what has to be said so I can get the food in the mouth. Right? You don't really care about anything else. And so what I thought we could talk about today is, is prayer. And this kind of unspoken fear... That maybe we're doing it wrong and I want to just alleviate those fears right now there is no wrong way to pray Um, there are some things and 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 that we can think about and talk about but in most cases there's no wrong way God just wants to talk to you he just wants to have a conversation with you Um, and so let's talk about a few things that prayer is right these are some things that prayer is prayer is first and foremost a gift This is a way that God has shown us how to communicate with Him. You get to speak to the Creator of everything. You get to yell at Him, you get to complain to Him, you get to praise Him, you get to thank Him, go back to yelling at Him a little bit more, more complaining, and then more asking, and then praise, yeah, and thanks. But you actually get to communicate with the Creator of everything anytime you want. What a gift! Is prayer. It's what it should not be seen as. It's a gift, not a burden. Anyone ever give you a gift, but really it's not a gift at all? It's like you're the husband who buys his wife a new vacuum cleaner and then wonders why she's not happy with it. It's like, but you like vacuuming. No, I don't. <laughs> This is a real gift. This is something you actually want and you can use. It's not, it doesn't come with strings attached. It's not an obligation per se. It's literally saying, I sent my son. He died for you. He rose again. He gives you everlasting life. And by the way, if you ever want to talk, I'm right here. That's a gift. That's something awesome that we can experience. Prayer is also a support. There are people that walk through this whole life feeling like they're completely alone. There are people that go through seasons feeling like they're completely alone. There are people that lose their husband or wife and then really feel like they're completely alone. Guess what? You're not alone because at any time you want, you can have a conversation with God. He's here. He's with you. He wants to talk to you and wants you to talk to him. We, We use the example of crawling into daddy's lap, right? Like that's, I want that. If if you've ever uh, had children, then you might remember this whole thing where like you're holding the kid and the kid just falls asleep in your arms and you're like, dude, I think I'm just going to stay here for the rest of my life. Like I just, this is it. That's how God feels about you. Like he wants you to crawl up into his lap and pray with him and maybe just fall asleep praying. And God looks at you and goes, I think I just want to stay right here forever. I love this child of mine. And, And they fell asleep in prayer with me. How cool is that? It's a support It is also a call, when we use that term in church, what it means is we've asked you, God has asked you to do something, he's called you out. Hey, go into the world spreading the gospel, teaching him everything I've commanded you, all these sorts of things. Go do this, go do that, and one of the call is, talk to me, man, talk to me. When I do premarital or uh, any sort of counseling, the first thing I'll ever say about two people is, communication is key. Communication is key. Uh, Usually it's something to do with an unmet expectation on one side or the other because it wasn't clearly communicated. So if you're going to have a really good relationship with God, communication is key. It's a call. He's called us to communicate with him. Not out of burden, not out of necessity, but because we ought to and it is good for us and we get to talk to our Lord and Savior. And finally, prayer is what I like to call in this case, uh, God is a bit of an enabler. Yeah. And, and this sounds like a bad word, and it is in our modern-day world. So you've got a friend who's, uh, you know, an alcoholic or something, and, and you keep inviting him out to, to have drinks, right? You know he's an alcoholic, but you just you never say anything about it. You just keep going out and, and having him drink and drink and drink. Yeah, you're called an enabler when you do that. Uh, eventually, you have to get to say, I'm sorry, buddy, but this isn't good for you, and I should, as your friend, I should say something. Well, here's the great thing about God. It doesn't matter how many times in a row you screw up, God's right there for you. Now he's gonna work on you. He's gonna keep saying stuff to you, but there is no thing you can do that separates you from God. You can ask Jonah about that. He's like, I don't want to go that I wanna go this way. Okay, have fun in the belly of a fish for a while. <laughs> it's not gonna work. David says, you know, it doesn't matter where he goes, I couldn't hide in the deepest crevice of the deepest cave, and you'd still you are with me. You're everywhere. He knows and he still loves you. He knows the things that you've never told anybody. All those dirty little things that you've done. He knows every single one of them. And he still loves you. And he still wants to pray with you. Wants to talk with you. Wants to walk with you. In the beginning, when God created man, Adam and Eve, and it says that he went down into the garden and he walked with them and he talked with them. It is only because sin entered the world that we can no longer be in the same presence with God for God is holy and cannot be around sin. It would just, you would just die on the spot. And so he had to separate himself physically from you. But he says, but don't forget to call. Or if you're really old, don't forget to write. Writing is what they used to do, kids. Um, they used to put stuff in the, in the mail and it would go somewhere else, really weird. <laughs> kind of like an email, you don't know what that is. It's like a text, but it's on paper, okay? Um, don't forget to write, says God, um, because of a decision you've made as people to walk away from me, I'm still here. I still want to talk to you. Prayer is important to me. Give me a call. Now, you may have one grandparent or something that you talk to, and when they call, you talk to them in a certain way. Then you may have like a best friend that you talk to, and when they call, you talk to them maybe in a little different way. I'm not saying that you guys are just like dropping f-bombs all the time, but I assume that's what you're doing when you talk to your friends. <laughs> just whining about your wife or whatever. Uh, you, there, there are ways that you talk with certain people, you talk with other people. God wants you to talk to him like he's the closest relationship you've ever had. Like it's not, a, you're not afraid to say anything to God. You talk to him. He wants to hear from you. He's not gonna kick you out. What did you just say to me? Says God, now I, won't, now I won't hear your prayers. You, no, I'll always hear your prayer. I want to talk with you. You're my child. You have a relationship with me and I want to have a relationship with you. God wants to talk. And so as we go through life, and and in the church especially, um, we kind of learn by osmosis. If you don't know what osmosis means, that just means if I stand next to something long enough, it'll just bleed into me. Um, And so what we do is we sit and we go to church and we watch other people pray. We watch me pray during worship or watch the pastor pray. Or we go to youth group and the youth leader prays. Or, Or we go out to dinner with someone and they pray. And you kind of indirectly pick up, this must be how you pray. Um, and I've come up with a few different styles of prayer that if we're going to say there's a wrong way to pray, this would be the wrong way to pray. All right? This thing is in my way. And as I do, I'm going to make fire while we do this. It should be fun. Um, the first type of prayer is is probably the funniest. And maybe this doesn't happen as much anymore just because times have changed. But the first type of prayer person, I want to just kind of think of this scenario of going to like a Bible study or something, and uh, they say, you know, Mr. Thompson, would you like to pray? And, and the first thing he does is he stands up, and then he does what I like to call the Shakespearean. You guys know where I'm going with this? So the, apparently when you're sitting in a circle, if you're going to be a Shakespearean prayer, prayer you got to stand up. I don't know why you have to stand up, but you do. So the guy always inevitably stands up, and he starts with something like this. O oh Lord, thou art holy and good. Thou hast come from the depths of Hades into the place. And you're just like, what is this guy saying? I don't understand what's happening. But apparently to him, you must pray in like King James English because that's the same Bible that Jesus had, right? Like you have to talk that way. <laughs> God doesn't understand you unless you say "Thee," thou, etc. The Shakespearean. Uh, the Shakespearean is a type of way to pray. It's not wrong. God, God knows what you're saying. Yeah. Um, nobody else does. And I you know, if, if you're trying to learn how to pray and, and you're, you're very curious about, I would say next time you're a Bible study and they say, we'd like to pray, just don't stand up and start throwing out Romeo and Juliet. It's just not, it's not going to work. So you got the Shakespearean. Oh boy, the Shakespearean. <laughs> the next one uh, is someone I like to call the name caller. Now, maybe when you were on the playground, you guys called each other names and that's cool. You guys can do whatever you decided to call each other. Um, but I'm talking more like, If I were sitting here and talking to my friend, Patrick, and I just constantly kept saying his name. So like, hey, Patrick, how's it going, Patrick? Patrick, I was wondering, Patrick, if you would like to, Patrick, go to dinner, Patrick, later with me, Patrick. It's like, (laughs) who talks like that? But you've heard this guy pray before, right? Hey, Lord, I just, Lord, I, I just, I'm so about you, Lord. And Lord, if you could just be a part of me, Lord, and just walk with me, Lord, and I could just, Lord, I would just love it, Lord. And God's like, just talk. You don't have to keep calling my name all the time. I mean, you can call on his name as often as you want, but don't be a name caller. Okay, if we got, remember I told you there's no wrong way to pray, and then I just told you two wrong ways to pray. Okay, so you got, <laughs> you got the Shakespearean, and you got the name caller. <laughs> the third one is one I like to call the grocery list, and <laughs> and this prayer person is way more common than you think. It probably happens in your morning prayer, or uh, for us, it was when we went to bed, so remember I told you we used to do this prayer at, to eat, and then when we went to bed, my parents would put us to bed, and they'd say, time to pray, and we'd say, dear God, please bless, and then we'd go through the list, my mom, my dad, my sister, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, uh, you know, the neighbor over here, amen, or it might sound like this, Lord, I really need my job to be better, Lord, I need this, can you please watch over my friend, uh, if I heard about this on the prayer list, say, please be with that person, be with that person, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. amen. Well, thanks for your grocery list. I appreciate the grocery list you've given me. First of all, God was already aware of all those things. He does want you to bring it to him, but he also wants to talk to you. If we go in just grocery listing him and just here's a hundred things, but I'm never listening to anything else, then it's not really a conversation anymore, is it? It's just a grocery list. It's what the wife hands her husband and then he completely gets wrong every time he goes to the grocery store. The grocery list is a way to to pray. Sometimes it's a time thing. Sometimes it's just, you know, like in the morning, I always want to pray for everybody. I want to pray for people in the morning. Great. Take two minutes out of that and maybe just sit for a minute. We get very scared in this world about something called meditation. And meditation has got this really evil connotation in our kind of culture as Christians because we associate it with this kind of Eastern thing. And um, that type of meditation is, let me just describe it to you quickly. That type of meditation has to do with emptying your mind, okay? Clear your mind, sit in this weird thing, so that that the uncomfortableness of the way you're sitting distracts you from thinking of anything else, I guess. I don't know why they do it that way. But it's all about emptying your mind. Empty your mind, and then let, you know, the spirits and the cultures and the crystals and the whatever come in and fill your mind. That's one type of meditation. Another type of meditation is where you fill your mind with the things of God, You fill your mind with scripture. You fill your mind with a a spiritual song or something. You're praying for your friends. You're talking to God. And then you stop and meditate on that for a minute. Maybe God has something he wants to say to you. You're praying for this neighbor, like actual neighbor who lives next to you. You've prayed for them. And maybe God wants to say, hey, you should take them dinner tonight. But he can't get that message through to you because you're grocery listing him. You need to take a minute and just meditate on that. These are the things I'm coming to you with, Lord. You got anything for me? And that's how we can have a real communication instead of just grocery listing. We also have what I like to call the bargainer. Now, the bargainer, uh, again, is more common. You guys can laugh all you want. I know you've done it. And that's when we get to see like this big Powerball up. Powerball's up to $5.2 billion or however big it gets. And you're like, well, I should probably buy a ticket for that. And on your way, and you pick that ticket up, and you go, Lord, just so you know, you let me win this, you get half. I promise. I'll take care of everybody. Just let me have the money. Lord, if you'll just, then I will. Yeah, we're bargaining, aren't we? It's like, Lord, I don't believe that you actually have my best interest at heart. Um, You're clearly not motivated enough to give me the Corvette that I want in my driveway. So let's make a deal, Lord. You give me a million dollars and I'll give you half. That's not how it works, guys. We don't bargain with God. God knows far more than we could ever hope to know. Uh, And if he wanted you to have a Corvette in your driveway, you'd have a Corvette in your driveway. Even if he didn't want you to have a Corvette in your driveway, you'd probably go spend the money anyway and go get a Corvette because that's what you wanted. Nothing to do with what God wanted, it's what you wanted, but you're ready to bargain. Now, that sounds like, you know, a rude way to do it, like give me a million dollars or whatever. But, but this happens way more often when we're going through a tough time. And what we're going to do today is we're going to open the scripture. We're going to look at four different types, four different times and types uh, that people have prayed. And let's just see if any of these four things show up. I bet you can figure out that they are. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to open up into 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible with you, you can open that up. If you've got your phone, you can pull that up. If you don't have a Bible or a phone, there are Bibles in the chair right in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take it Take it home with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, but let's open, if you can, to 1 Samuel. Otherwise, I'm going to put it on the screen. So you've got all sorts of options. But in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we have a woman named Hannah. And uh, during this time in in the world, uh, Hannah is married to a husband who has more than one wife. She is one of several wives. And the situation is that the other wives have given her husband children, but Hannah has not. And in this time... Your ability to have children, to run a household, to do it, is literally how a woman's measured. Her value is measured in society by her ability to have children. So by not having children, Hannah is very embarrassed all the time. The other wives are picking on her all the time. What a useless, you know, she can't even have kids, right? She's just going through it. And so uh, Hannah and her husband and and the wives who are picked on her have gone over to where the temple is and they're eating a meal. And this is what happens. As they're eating this meal... You can see, I'll start at uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. It says, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Stop right there. She was in bitterness of soul and wept in anguish. Look at the poetry of how he describes what this is. And then tell me you haven't ever been in bitterness of soul before. What am I going to do? Crying, coming to God because you are broken. Bitterness is not just sad. It's like borderline, I'm going to get angry soon. Bitterness of soul to your very core, Lord. And I'm weeping in anguish. They keep berating me and making fun of me. So it's verse 11. It says, then she made a vow and said, "O Lord of hosts, ready for this. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head." Bargaining? Anybody? Bargaining? Yeah. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered him, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So a woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Rest of the story is, she gives birth to a son. His name is Samuel, he becomes essentially the first kind of king of Israel. Of course, then if the Israelites get mad, they want their own king, and you guys can just finish reading the book. He'll tell you everything happens. She does get the son, though. So wait a minute, Daniel. Didn't you just tell me that bargaining doesn't work? That bargaining isn't right? I did. But Hannah's prayer was answered. Now, what she didn't say is, I'll give you half of Samuel, and then I'll keep some. If you give me a son... I'll give them to you. In this prayer, she almost upsets the, the priest, which means he's not going to want her son, right? If, she's all, if he's all mad at her. And then she brings the son back. He's like, weren't you that drunk chick that was in here before? So she had to explain what was happening, you know, how, how sad she was. But in every description of Hannah in this, in this account, you hear with, in no uncertain terms that she is broken. Beat down. And when a person is broken and beat down as you have been before, and you crawl into God's lap, I promise you, it doesn't matter what you say. The bargaining didn't matter. He just wanted to talk to you. Just wanted to hold you. Let you fall asleep in his arms. And as she walked away from that, it says she went and she ate, and her face was no longer sad, and she just carried herself differently. It wasn't until a little bit later that she got pregnant and had Samuel, but from that moment forward, she felt better. She felt better. Because of that prayer, that prayer that was bargaining, that shouldn't be. But it's picked her up. Prayer is useful. All right, let's look at our next example. Moving forward just a little bit, we're going to go into the book of Psalms. And we're going to talk about our friend David. We're going to go to Psalm chapter 51. Now, if you don't know about David, uh, he was the king after Saul. um, And he was chosen because Saul was a big jerk. And uh, God wanted to find someone that they described—someone who is after His own heart. This is how they described David: he is a man after God's own heart. It's a pretty serious description, considering that this is what happens. He sees a girl. He would like to spend some time with this girl. I know there's kids in the room, so I'll try to be very careful how I say this. (laughs) He wants to go to a movie with this girl. And uh, this girl is married. And so what he does is he just makes sure that this girl's husband finds his way to a place where he'll be killed. Front lines of a war, let's say. So David stays home, sends the husband out. Oh, he died? That's a bummer. I guess we can be together now. And he goes to a movie with her. <laughs> and somehow a baby comes. And then he gets chastised. He gets caught by the prophet. And the prophet comes in and says, I'm sorry, you're going to lose this kid. The kid's going to die. You screwed up. You, this person who was a man after God's own heart, decided to walk away from that and do some really messed up stuff. And you are going to reap what you sow. And David, again, as Hannah was in our first story, David is broken. He is done. It says that he just laid on the floor and just wept. This king, this mighty king, the conqueror. Saul has killed his thousands. David's killed his tens of thousands. This mighty, mighty man broken into a heap on the ground as he just cries, as he cries out to his God. Psalm chapter 51, verses one through 12. Have mercy upon me, O God behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me but behold you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me know, to know wisdom purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities create in me a clean heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. David is acknowledging, admitting, repenting. This is a sinner's prayer. This is, this is the prayer for someone who doesn't know God, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, that is broken and comes to him for the first time and says, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I've messed up. And even to someone who is a Christ follower, who's been a Christ follower for 20 years, may have to go back to God and say, I'm sorry. I Screwed up. Take it away. Let the bones that were broken be made. I mean, the, the description David gives here, of course, he's very good at doing this. This particular set of scripture is the source for about three different hymns. Did you guys hear them along the way? Creating me a clean heart, oh God. This lament of David's. Just crying in a puddle on the floor, David calls out to God. And then he goes on. Verses 13 through 17. Let's see if we see a name caller in here somewhere. Here we go. Then I will teach transgressions your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth shall flow forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you despise. I wonder if he's talking to God or not. It's, I've heard his name a few times there. So stretching a little bit, but a bit of a name caller, isn't he? Got that God, Lord, God, Lord, Lord, God, Lord. But he's taking this the first half of this of this phrase, which is all about how broken and beat down and and how he just he needs forgiveness and from his repentance, etc. And then he turns it and he says, and once that happens, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna teach people about who you are. People are gonna get to know you because they're going to see what I've done. Some of the most powerful preachers in the world, especially evangelists, have this wonderful, wonderful, or terrible, however you want to think about it, terrible witness. This testimony. I was once lost, and now I'm found and the lostness can look all sorts of different. It could be drugs, it could be gangs, it could be uh, sex and whatever. It could be all sorts of things that they came from, and, and God brought them out of it. David, who had kind of been a king and at least knew he was going to be a king, killed Goliath at 12 years old. You know, David had to get broken. And even in his crawling up to God and begging for forgiveness, even there, he says, and when this happens, when I'm restored, I'm going to use it. And you're going to use me so that more people would be saved. That Even when you go through that stuff and your name calling and your bargaining and you're broken, that God will use it for good if you can acknowledge it. And automatically you're going to start feeling better. I know God's going to use this. He's, He's got something in mind. Next person we're going to use as an example is my buddy Jesus. And I want to pull up uh, John. Uh, People use this verse so much. So John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, uh, says this. And I'm sure you're all going to remember this. You're not going to remember anything else that I say today, but that's okay. It says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Lord, where's the Corvette in the driveway? we got to be careful about this. Because when he says, asking something in my name, there's there's an implication, or there should be on your side an inference, that says, when I say in my name, it means something that I would agree with. So I don't say, Lord, in Jesus' name, would you kill that guy that lives across the street? He's ticking me off. Well, no. But I said in your name. Yeah, I know what you said. But it wasn't in my name. Because I wouldn't. Have you killed people? So in my name is the qualifying statement here. Okay, I just want to make sure we're clear about that when Jesus says anything you ask in my name. (sighs) But let's talk about a prayer that we've heard about a lot. There are two big prayers that Jesus gives. One, we like to call the Lord's Prayer. I don't like to call it that. I like to call that the Apostles' Prayer because the Lord's Prayer takes place in a garden called Gethsemane. This is when our Lord Jesus Christ prayed. When he prayed, when he was melting in a puddle on the floor, when he was in bitterness of soul and anguishly weeping, sweating so hard the sweat turned into blood, the stress of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What did he pray? How did he pray at those times? Let's find out. Matthew chapter 26. Verses 36 to 44. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. (laughs) And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now, this phrasing might confuse you, so let me just put it in modern-day terms. I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> I think it may kill me. Like I may have a heart attack right now. Will you just sit with me, please, my friends? Will you just sit with me because I'm worried that my heart is just going to blow right out of my chest? I'm freaking out. I'm scared. I might just die right here. Your Savior said that to his friends. You want to talk about sorrow, bitterness of soul? This is Jesus Himself in the garden. Stay and just watch with me. So he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is where we get that in my name statement again. Here's what I want, Lord. Don't make me do this. 33 years on this earth, three years of ministry, walking up to this night that I knew was coming. I know the betrayer is out there. They're on their way to get me. Lord, if it's at all possible... Can I get out? Can I get off this train? Jesus endured the cross for us, friends. He didn't want to do it. I think we want to just kind of cotton candy this story of Jesus going to the cross. He didn't want to do it. He hated it. Shameful and despised and rejected. And he knew it. And he fell on his face and said, Lord, please don't make me do this. But... Not my will, yours. I will experience sorrow. I will experience all this if that is your will, Lord. It continues on. Then he came, that's all cut off, that's interesting. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. All right, guys, what was the one thing I asked you? I just told you, I think I'm gonna die. I'm gonna have a panic attack and die, and you guys have crashed out. Great friends. <laughs> disciples and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me an hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup can not pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. He's asking again. He already asked once. Let this gut pass from me. Comes out. Dudes are crashed out sleeping. Come on, guys. I'll be right back. Lord, have you changed your mind? I really don't want to do this. The son of God went back a second time, double dipping. Please don't make me do this. He pays that prayer, comes back, says, and he came back and found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy. They were tired. Jesus knows what's coming, and these guys are trying to catch some Zs, and it's probably ticking them off a little bit. Just stay up for a minute, please, will you? Come on. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Three times. My Savior, the Son of God, didn't like the answer the first time. Didn't like the answer the second time, accepted the answer the third time. Here's the big thing about prayer that every single person needs to know, and I hope you remember this. Don't walk through life saying God doesn't answer my prayers. Don't do it. Because sometimes the answer is no. We just don't like that answer. You ever go ask your mom if you can go over to someone's house, and she's like, I don't know, I'll think about it, whatever. And so what do you do? You go ask dad. Hey, dad, mom said it's cool if, it's, if you said it's cool. Well, I guess that's all right. Cool. Mom, dad said it's cool if you, if you say it's cool. You're, yeah, you're just going to keep going until you get the answer you want. Or you're looking at a used car and you don't really know if you should buy this used car. So you call your uncle who's a really good mechanic and he comes out and he says, do not buy this car. This car is trash. This is bad. This is bad. But you really want the car. So you're like, okay, uncle, thank you. And you call someone who doesn't know as much about cars. and are like, will you come look at it? And they're like, I love the car. It's blue. Like, me too. I love it. I want to get it. So I'm just going to keep asking until someone gives you the answer that I want. God said, Jesus, I'm sorry. You got to go. Because I'm thinking about Daniel Robinson in the year 2022 right now. Things you can't even think about in your, in your human mind. I need you to go to that cross. And Jesus said, all right, if that's what you have me do, that's what I'll do. That, my friends, is the Lord's prayer. That's his prayer. He said, not my will, but yours be done. But he didn't want to do it. Last example is when Jesus taught us how to pray. I know you guys have all heard this prayer before, but let's just look at it one more time. This is the one I like to call the Apostles' Prayer. And I believe it is a structure that is useful, okay? So let's look at at what he says before he teaches us the prayer. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret Will reward you openly, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. And then we get the Lord's prayer. Now, I don't every translation, NKJV, is going to be a little different, but we're going to go through it together. But he gives us a structure. What I want you to see in this structure is it starts with praise, and then, else, and then it goes to something else, and then it goes to something else, and then it goes to something else, and then it ends with something else. And that is a structure we can use when we're talking with God. As opposed to, sometimes our worship songs do this. Like we sang that one today, I Hear the Chains fall, and we said, it, we said it like eight times, right? I hear the chains falling. I hear the chains falling. I hear the chains falling. It's like, yeah, I heard you the first four times. <laughs> yeah, but it's getting louder each time, so it's different. <laughs> doesn't count. (laughs) But there are prayers that end up very repetitious or say the same prayer every time. Me at the dinner table, me going to bed as a kid, same prayer every time. And as I said, you might as well just not even say it. Just don't pray for the food if you're not really praying for it. If you're just repeating something that you've said a thousand times, just don't do it. So don't repeat, but instead use this structure. He says this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This structure of praise, ask, forgive others, praise, is just a good structure to use. Wake up in the morning, Lord, you're awesome, man. Lord, I just want to thank you for everything you've done for me. I know I screw up. Be with me today. Help me screw up a little bit less. And when someone else screws up against me, let me have just a little more forbearance than I did yesterday. So they'll see you in me because of how great you are. Amen. Boom, Lord's Prayer. Just said it in a little different way. When we use these structures, when we use these examples, we start to learn what God really wants about what praying is really all about—it's a conversation. It's spending time with Him. No matter how lowly you are, no matter how bitterness of soul you are, that He wants to talk to you. But He wants to talk to you when you're doing good too. In fact, this is what He wants. And kids, if you're paying attention, uh, when you're younger and you have to memorize verses, I think every kid has to memorize John 11:35. Yes, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. <laughs> John 11:35. Give me my candy, please. So here's a couple more that you guys can take home with you. We're gonna be in First Thessalonians chapter five. In First Thessalonians chapter five, verse sixteen is, rejoice always. I'm serious. That's the whole verse. Memorize, candy next Sunday. <laughs> verse seventeen, even more more important, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When we put it all together, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. There's a type of prayer that, that... that Jesus taught us and taught the disciples about going and, sh- and shutting the door and just, just you and him time. But I'll tell you, some of you guys probably need to pray when you're on your way to work, and you're late, and someone cuts you off. and you have some choice words for that person. But if you were praying well, and when I say pray, I don't mean close your eyes while you're driving, please. <laughs> I don't send me any emails. But you can have your eyes open driving down the road and be in constant conversation with God. Every minute of every day, you can be in constant conversation with God. And and then what you can do is you can start to look at your day and say, when was I not in conversation with God? Was it while I was at work? Was it while I was doing something else and that person cut me off and I felt like I wasn't talking to God? And you start to identify the spots where you don't want to be in conversation with God because you'd rather sneak over here and do something naughty. And maybe that helps you learn where you should be and where you shouldn't be. But to pray without ceasing is just a lifestyle. I'm praying right now. I'm in conversation with God right now. As I'm preaching with you, God is also talking to me. If you wanna have a conversation, you got to, sometimes you just gotta leave the door open. You gotta let him keep talking. You gotta let him communicate with you as much as you communicate with him. These are the different types of prayer. Some not so good, some great. All valid. All valid. And as we've been walking through these candles that we lit earlier, we're going to talk about each example. You had Hannah, who in bitterness of soul, while just weeping in misery, became the bargainer. And God answered that prayer. Really, just blue wax all over my hands. You may start to notice that as we go through this, it's going to get a little darker each time. We're even going to close these drapes, I think, in a second. If you're scared of the dark, too bad. We had David, someone that was a winner by all measurable statistics, but really screwed up. Really screwed up. So the mightiest of all warriors, maybe ever, sat in a puddle of himself on the floor, and prayed for forgiveness. And when he prayed, God answered, even though he did some name calling. We have Jesus in the garden, about to pay the ultimate price for me and for you. Triple dipped. Lord, please don't make me do this. And God answered his prayer. He just said no. For his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. And then he taught us to pray. To go into your room and shut the door. And to have a conversation. Not something that's just ultra repetitive, that you're just saying the same thing over and over again, but a conversation. With your creator, to crawl into his lap, to have a relationship with someone. Same way we'd have a relationship with your friend or your mom or whoever, you would hope that that means when they call, you would answer. And God has told us that when you call, he'll answer. Any time of day or night, he is here to have a relationship with you. You need to fall on the ground and bargain? Fall on the ground and bargain. You screwed up? I guarantee you're going to come across one of those. Ask for forgiveness. Turn it into a testimony. God asking you to, do, to go into a situation you don't want to do, let it pass, Lord. Talk to him. Pray. Pray. But always communicate. I went out already. Isn't that nice? Always communicate with him. And he will give you the answers. That's not going to (laughs) lie. Pretend that one's lit. And this one's still lit. (laughs) And if we pray without ceasing, if we rejoice always, if we stay in communication with him, even in the darkest of times, in the worst of times, in in the times where you just don't know, and you wonder, is this prayer even worth anything? He will trade your beauty. Trade your ashes for beauty. He will turn darkness into light. He will take what you think is ugly and turn it into something beautiful. That wasn't magic. Please don't tell David why I just did that. (laughs) He will turn what you thought was ugliness when you crawled on the ground and were crying in a puddle of your own tears and turn it into something beautiful that later on you'll share with someone you'll say, I was once way down. I was David on the floor, and God brought me back out. He turned something ugly into something beautiful. He turned some darkness into light, and it's because of the way that I just communicate with him, have conversation with him. We're going to have the opportunity right now to take part in communion, so if we want to start to pass those elements out as we close, and Todd, if you're ready, you can start making your way. I thought together we could just pray one time, the Lord's Prayer. We'll just read it off the screen. I know it's a little bit of a Shakespearean, but we didn't find too many of those. So if you can put that up, Lucas, one more time. And it starts like this, and you just read it with me. Are you ready? It's with Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, As we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that is his promise to you.